Okay. Verse number one. 145, verse number one. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion of all he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell you of your power. To make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and give them your food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is nigh unto all of them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. I will extol you. My God, O King, I will bless your name forever and ever. Keep your text open right there. We're going to spend some time in Psalm 145. There are those who might uh, find this on the Internet. We have some who listen to our messages that can't be here. Uh, they're in other places of our country, and I understand some people overseas as well. We record it, put it on the website, and people pick it up, and they may not know that it's Thanksgiving Eve for us. And uh, so that's why we're here here tonight. But we have a beautiful psalm we've been working through, and I wanted to bring it to this day and this time for our last uh, consideration of the greatness, the unsearchable greatness of our Lord. And there's a beautiful verse we just read in verse number 20. And I want you to walk over to there, turn your page if you need to. Verse number 20. I don't have my suit uh, coat to put my thing in. I'm just falling apart. Okay, verse 20. The Lord keeps all who love him. I love that phrase. The Lord keeps all who love him. I want to tell you a story. And I don't know, some of you might have heard bits and pieces of this before. Maybe you've heard the, the individual's name that I'm going to give as well. He is with the Lord, and he is probably the happiest man up there. I just know his character. 
So I talk about him, and he wouldn't mind, I don't think, too much. Uh, he was uh, one of those kind of individuals that uh, was very clever. As he was growing older, up near his 80s and a little beyond, I can't remember how long the Lord let him live down here, uh, he, you'd meet him, and, and he'd come into the church, and he'd say, we'd say, well, how are you today? And he says, well, I'll tell you what, my software is getting a little harder. And I always thought that was a funny response. He kept saying things like that. But, uh, you know, we live in a, in a time where so many things are disposable. We buy them that way with the anticipation. And maybe that's why they're cheap. But we anticipate that we're going to probably replace them before too long. Many times it's easier to buy it than to fix it. That's the way things are built anymore. It's not the way I grew up, and a lot of you, that's not the way... We grew up, we, we thought you should try to fix that thing. And we attempted to fix a lot of things. And, and maybe they weren't so pretty when we were done, but they worked. And I remember this man, a friend named Gurney. Some of my kids remember Gurney as well. Gurney Smith was his name. Uh, a wonderful elderly man with a very strong, I think it was Scottish. It was some sort of a very deep accent from... Ireland or Scotland or somewhere over there, it was fun to listen to him read Scripture out loud. He loved to talk about the Lord. He loved to talk about Him. He loved his wife dearly. They had many, 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 many years together. I think we celebrated their 75th anniversary uh, at the church. Uh, she had polio. Back in the days when they send you away to some place, and there was a place, I don't know if it was in Georgia or someplace down there, a rather famous place, I think, that she spent time there. And she wrestled with issues like that all of her life. He loved her dearly. They loved to talk together. They, they, uh, they anticipated the rapture like no other couple I ever knew. And I've mentioned him before because when his wife passed away, he was the most depressed man I'd ever seen because he thought that they had missed the rapture because she passed away. And I said, no, Gurney, it's not that way at all. She just moved to the front of the bus. The scripture says that the dead in Christ go first. Well, all of a sudden, that's just what he wanted to do. It's like, wait till your time, the Lord will do And the Lord took him, and now they're both at the front of the bus. But uh, he loved to talk about the rapture, and he loved to feed birds. We, we used to joke that every cardinal in the county stayed in the tree outside of his, his living room window because he fed them there. And you'd go there, and it was just red everywhere because of the number of cardinals he was able to um, collect outside of his living room window feeder. But he had a garage. Gurney had a garage, and I doubt that a car has ever been in it. That's one of those kind of garage where it was packed, absolutely packed to the ceiling with boxes. Little boxes, big boxes, everything. Now, just so you know, this isn't messy. This is very organized, very neat. He had a part of this and he had a part of that. And if Napa didn't have it and Lowe's didn't have it, Gurney did. That's what we knew. Uh, there was a single path that went on either way you went on one side of the entrance of the garage or the other side, and it formed this loop all the way through there, and it was the only place you could go and come back out again. If you got off that path, you were doomed. 
but you stayed on that path. And you had everything so beautifully. What was was neat about it was it wasn't messy. But he knew where everything was. Everything he kept in that garage. He told me once that uh, he had talked to the Lord about that. Having that so full, and he says, this is what kind of humor he says. He says, well, Lord, I, I, I wanted to know if you wanted me to build a bigger garage. The Lord says, no, just reorganize what you got. And that's the way he looked at things. He would always keep it clean and, and keep it organized and such like that. He just had a big sense of humor. He was a master clocksmith. Anyone in Indiana that had a clock of real significance, if it was large, if it was important, if it was antique, if it was grandfather clock, if it sat in a museum or a college or some important place, Gurney could fix it. And he did. And it was amazing to watch his skills in these things. I just wanted you to get a good picture of him. You probably do a little bit, just by my description. But I want you to have Gurney in your mind because, as we thought, he could fix anything. And nothing was disposable to him. And I tested him on this one time in that I don't know where I got it. I was given a garden tiller. And it was a small one, a real lightweight garden tiller. And it had a lot of pieces missing. It was a gas engine on top of it. And parts were missing. And it was given to me. I had no idea even if the thing worked at all. So I took it over to Gurney one day. And I, I set it down, and he came out, and he looked at it, and he says, Well, Pastor, give me, just leave it here. Let me take a look at it. I said, Okay. He called me two hours later when it was working. I said, What? And I went over there, and he says, yeah, it's all fine now. And I'm looking at it, and it had the most interesting-looking gas tank on it I'd never seen before, anything quite like that. But what I thought was probably the most interesting thing to do was that somehow this thing was all hooked up with unusual parts, and IV tubes were used for the gas lines that he had saved from one of his wife's hospitalizations. Uh, he, he fixed it, and it worked, and I never had a better running tiller. It was fantastic. Why did I tell you all that? Well, we're surrounded on this earth with things that don't last. That's just true. They fall apart, and sometimes we find alternate parts to fix them, to keep them going a little while longer. But eventually, the years go on, and maybe if another thousand years goes or two thousand years goes, somebody's going to dig up the things that we've buried in our backyard and they're going to find tillers made with IV tubes and wonder, what were they thinking? Cell phones out there, laptops out there, Datsun cars, if anyone still has those. You see, we're used to the idea that things are replaceable and other things are disposable. And we toss them out. When I scan through the list of characteristics and actions of our Lord, in this Psalm 145, I find to me the dearest to be verse number 20. I find that to be the dearest to me. He keeps. He keeps. I think all of us have one particular trait or another of the Lord that seemed to be the most precious to us. If I went around the room, each of you might give a different thing. Say, his faithfulness is 
the thing that you value the highest. His, his love is the thing you value the highest. His compassion, its mercy. You know, we've got all kinds of words we use, and, and there are things in our life, perhaps, that trigger one particular trait over another. Not that any of them are greater than the other. It's just one means a whole lot to me uh, compared to the others. And we hold the tightest to that. Some who have struggled with this great inconsistencies in life will find his faithfulness to be the thing they hold the tightest to. And some who have maybe a long list of sinful experiences will think that his mercy is the great things, greatest thing to talk about. I was brought up to deny the keeping ability of the Lord. I was brought up that way. I've shared that with you before. Not so much that he was deficient in it, but that he was not willing was what I was led to believe. He, he, he was more angry than he was loving. And I, at any time, could remove myself from him. That's what I was taught. That's what I thought was right. I believed that I could walk away from my salvation any time I chose. To be honest, the salvation I thought I had wasn't worth keeping in the first place. Because it was based on me and not on him. I told you before my own testimony, how that the Lord walked me through the book of Romans... And he taught me in the first four chapters that I didn't amount to anything but a sinful mess. I was lost. I was hopeless in my sins as ever a person could be. Even though I was brought up to be afraid of the Lord, I was sure that I had something within myself to bargain with on the day of judgment. And I believe that maybe someday I'll stand before men. We'll talk it through and make it right. Romans chapters 1 through 4 took all of that from me. And I knew it. <laughs> I can't recall ever feeling so absolutely helpless in that Roman class at Moody Bible Institute as he walked through those first four chapters. I was stunned that I was so lost. <laughs> it was stunning to me. And then we got to chapter 5. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless. That's how I felt. And I'm reading this like, man, the ink must still be wet. It was talking about me. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Two verses later is my favorite verse. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Stopped me in my tracks. I realized it wasn't me. It was him. That's what it was all about. See, to understand that my sin doomed me to that full extent and that Christ saved me to the fullest extent was such a relief. Such a relief to discover. And I came to understand more and more what verse 1 said of that same chapter. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the question still in my heart was, but is it going to last? Is it going to last? It's wonderful as can be, but 
It's simply as, as I could say this. If it's based on me, it won't last. If it's based on Christ, it will last as long as he does. And Scripture says how long he lasts. Hebrews 7.25, another great verse in my heart. He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that a great phrase? He always lives. My salvation based on me is hopeless. Based on him, it's based on how long is he going to make it. He always lives. What a relief. That is based on him and not on me. He always lives. So he can save forever. He's able to do it. What a difference that made, folks. When I took my eyes off myself and I put them on him. What a difference that made. Scripture never says, and I've looked through it just to make sure, it never once says that I am great. But how often does it say, He is great? This psalm does it, doesn't it? This psalm is just loaded with those phrases. He is great, He is great, He is great, and His greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. You work your way through this whole psalm here. You get an understanding of the unsearchable greatness of the Lord. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is good. He sustains. He raises up. He gives food. He satisfies desire. He is righteous. And He is kind. He is near. I like that too. And He keeps. Verse 20. He keeps. We're going to examine that word in just a few moments. That word keeps. But I want you to notice something. This psalm does once in a while bring us up. It makes reference to us in one way or another. A little description here, a little description there. It doesn't say a lot. But I think that's okay because it was meant to be all about Christ. But what does it say about me? What does it say about us? Look at verse 14, for example. The Lord sustains who? Those who fall. There we are. He raises up who? Those who are bowed down. There we are. Descending complimentary yet? Look at the next verse. Verse 15. Where it says, All eyes look to you, and you give them their food in due time. That means we're either desperate for more, or we're hungry, or we're dependent. In verse number 16, open your hands and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Maybe we're desperate. Maybe we're needy. Maybe we're anxious. The Lord is near to those who call on Him. Verse number 18 says, they call on Him. And that might be out of great concern that we have a need, we're desperate and anxious. Verse 19, that He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. And He will also hear their cry and save them. And then in verse number 20, the Lord keeps all who what? 
love him. All of us would stop there and say, ooh, that sounds really nice. He keeps all who love him. But what about the rest of that list? What else did it say about us? We fall. We bow down. We are hungry. We are needy. We are dependent. We are lacking. We are desperate. We are anxious. We cry. We need delivered. And where do we go? To the one we love. To the one we love. Charles Spurgeon said it so simply. Even the best of believers are not always at their best. That's a refrigerator word, isn't it? Stick that up there where we can see it. Even the best of believers are not always at their best. Which brings me to verse number 20 with you tonight. And the precious two little words, he keeps. He keeps. Shamar is the Hebrew word. To keep, to guard, to observe, to give, give heed to. To have charge of, to guard them, keep watch, protect them, save a life like a watchman would. To wait for them, to observe them, to retain them, to treasure them, to keep them within some sort of uh, bounds, to restrain them, to preserve them, protect them, reserve them. All kinds of wonderful words in this. And your Bible translations have some variety there too. I noticed that when I was scanning through the different ones that we might have here tonight of he preserves or he watches or he keeps or he protects. All of them, by the way, are in all one word, shamar. So I go to the Greek one because I like to do that. And there was nothing weird about the Septuagint on this one. Sorry. No weird stories of the Septuagint. But it did have the Greek word, phulaso. I love that word. That's a good Oklahomian word. All right? If any Greek word can be. Because you take off the fool and you got lasso. And I said, aha, now I get the word. And you do too. Because that's what you use, right? So it doesn't get away. You wrap it around that thing so it doesn't get away. Now, the fun thing is, the Greek word is full lasso. You don't get half of one. Now, I just butchered the Greek, but that's okay. I'm a teacher. It's the full lasso. It's full lasso is the Greek word. I do that because when I have to memorize Greek words, I have to sometimes associate them with something else. And that helps me a lot when I think of that word because I'll never forget its meaning just by the concept, the picture it puts in my head of being fully lassoed by the Lord. In other words, He keeps. He keeps so they don't escape. He has their eye upon them so they remain safe. He protects them so they don't suffer violence. He protects them from this person or that person. And here's the one that really caught my attention in the definitions. He keeps them from being snatched away. I love that. He preserves them safe. Keeps them from being snatched away. 
Now let me add another touch to this, because that little Greek word phileso is sitting there in front of me, and I said, oh, what a sweet word that is to me. And then I noticed it's verb tense, and I said, that I like too. We call that a present active indicative, and I'll put these guys to work if I had to. I'd say, what does that mean? Present means right now and continuously. Right now, he keeps me. Continuously, he is keeping me. Active voice goes with that. He's the one doing it. I don't have to do it. He does it. It's only him. He's the subject. He's doing it. He himself is keeping me. He himself is continuously keeping me. And then we go to a mood called indicative, which means it's real. It's real. It's not my imagination. It's not some sort of theological hocus-pocus I, I wove for you here tonight. Set it in the indicative mood, and it's not my wish, and it's not my maybes. It's not something based on what I do, somehow to earn it, somehow to keep it, somehow to keep it working. It's not a potential. It's not a conditional. It is an indicative. It is real. The Lord right now, the Lord always is really keeping me. And he keeps me from being snatched away. He's keeping me safe. He's keeping me protected. He's keeping me guarded. We attach the word assurance to that many times. Because we need that kind of a thing. In Psalm 23, which I refer to an awful lot, remember the sheep in Psalm 23? The Lord is the shepherd, so we must be the sheep, right? And in that picture, he's describing... All the different things he goes through in life, from green pastures and still waters and, and feasts right in front of all his enemies and, and all those pictures you have. But right toward the, as you head toward the end or two-thirds of the way through there, he talks about the shadow of darkness. Most people say, you know, that's kind of a difficult part of the whole psalm. And, and we associate that with death at times. We associate that with uncertainty. We talk about difficult days. And the fact that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because he's with me. He's near. And that's a very encouraging thing. But what I really, really like in that psalm is the last verse. What encourages me so much is that where it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And it doesn't have a period there. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's where the period goes. Not after this life. But we go in this journey. And what's really, really neat is that every lamb of the Lord has the same destination. Everyone will go through this journey in various ways, but we all end up at the same location, in the house of the Lord. And that's the promise he made to the sheep. That's what he said. I'll take you home. The journey's been rough for some, right? What an encouragement to know that the Lord keeps. He keeps all the way till they get home. He won't let go. 
He will protect them all the way through there. John 10. Here's a couple of verses that just will thrill your heart tonight. John 10, 28 and 29. I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. He's got a full lasso on them. Right? No one will snatch them out. And then he says in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Those two words, those two verses together, have been so precious to me in my thinking. I've used this illustration before, but one more time won't hurt you. You're in the hand of Jesus, and you can't be snatched out. Then you're in the hand of the Father, and no one can snatch out of His hand either. I like being in there, don't you? What a place to be. He keeps. You see the promise? Here's another set. Here's another set. When Jesus was talking to His Father in John 17... He was praying. And if you take the time to read through that prayer and see what Jesus was praying about, he asked the Father to do that which the Father was very good at doing. Of course he is. But he asked specifically, he said in verse 11, I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves, he was talking directly about his disciples here, but maybe it was, ultimately uh, applied to us in some way. But he says about them, they themselves are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Do you think the Father said, boy, that's going to be a tough one? He said, keep them. The Father is excellent at keeping. And that's what he prayed for. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are. And then he said again in verse 15, just a couple of verses down, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Even walking this journey in this world, the Father can keep them. There's an evil one out there. Yes, but he keeps them as they walk through these things. He keeps them. That's what the son asked his father. And then earlier in the book, in John 6, verse 39 and 40, this is the will of him who sent me. Now he's going to tell you. What did the father tell the son to do? This is his will. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. Now isn't that sweet? If you belong to Jesus Christ, if the Father has given you to Jesus Christ, He's not going to lose that gift from His Father. He's not going to misplace you. He's not going to go on and say, oops, I wonder where that one went. You don't slip through some crack and you're gone. If you belong to Him, He says, I keep you. And in the last day, We're all going to be there together. I raise it up. He said it again right after that in verse number 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will 
have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Do you think he knows how to keep? It's pretty powerful when you stop and think about it. How he is keeping us, always keeping us, right now keeping us, really keeping us from being snatched away, to be safe, protected, guarded, to the final destination. He keeps, he keeps, he keeps. Verse 3 said of Psalm 145, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. No wonder why David just burst out into this psalm in speaking about extolling him, praising him, blessing him forever and ever. You know, if you do that, you're only keeping up with what he's doing. If you bless him forever and ever, he's keeping you forever and ever. He's loving you forever and ever. He's guarding you forever and ever. To praise him every single day. It's just a beautiful response to what He's doing absolutely every day for you. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And when you start trying to measure it, His keeping abilities, when you start trying to measure it, you find He's greater than anything you can imagine. Anything you could measure to. I've been using this simple formula all the way through with all of his character traits we have seen, all of his actions we have seen. In every category, the Lord exceeds our need. As to depth, he is deeper. As to size, he is bigger. As to length, he is longer. As to amount, he is far more. In height, he is higher. In strength, he is more powerful. In wisdom, he exceeds the wisest. You mention the attribute, and he excels, and he exceeds in every one. Not only beyond what we compare him to, but even beyond what we can compare him to. We could set up our scales. We could set up our tools to measure him with. And none of them can encompass the greatness of our Lord. None of them can. Another way of saying this is this. He doesn't merely meet the measure of our keeping need. He greatly exceeds it. Greatly exceeds it. In every way, the Lord keeps us. In every action He does, He is keeping us. He is never less than protecting you. We are not disposable to Him. Aren't you glad for that? We're not disposable to Him. In every way, He's gracious. In every action He does, He is gracious. He is never less than gracious. In every way, He is merciful. In every action He does, He is merciful. He is never less then merciful. Mercy never diminishes because some other attribute is operating. In every way, the Lord is good. In every action He does, He is good. He's never less than good. Use that formula for whichever word you want out of the text. You want to talk about Him being right? The Lord is right. 
in every way. In everything he does, he is right. He is never less than right. The Lord is kind in every way, in every action. He is kind, and he's never less than kind. That's the greatness of our Lord. In every measurement, he goes far beyond what we know. It's not just what theology says. That can be interesting to study, and sometimes it's opinionated, and people get in arguments about it for some reason. But what a person, when, when we understand personally that this is our Lord. We can walk through difficult days. We could call out to Him. We could cry out to Him. We could be bowed down. We could be hurting. We could need saved, delivered, need relief. We need something from Him. And no matter where the place is, no matter what the problem is, no matter the depth or the length or the strength of whatever it is that holds us, the Lord is greater. The Lord is greater. I praise Him for being so great. And that He listens to people like you and me. That He turned all that attention toward us. Isn't that amazing? That He would look at us and want to do all this. He didn't look at us and say, well, you know, you're only worth like 17% of all I could do. He didn't do that, did He? He's giving... A hundred or more percent, I don't even know how to put that mathematically, to us. To us. In His kindness, in His goodness, in His righteousness, in His graciousness, in His mercy, and even in His keeping ability. Don't set that to the side like I used to do and think that wasn't so important. And for some reason, I was going to muff that all up. It wasn't based on me, and I'm so glad. It's based on Him. When you base it on Him, the picture just changes entirely, doesn't it? Because His greatness is unsearchable. Far beyond our feeble attempts to understand it or to express it. I could just say this now. From where I am in my life and what He has done in my heart, I know He's keeping me. I know He's keeping me. And I know someday when we get up to heaven, we're going to stand there and say, Yes, that's what he promised. Just like he said. He will never fail to keep us. Okay? Never fail to keep us. He's great at keeping us. He's great at it. And he will always keep us. Let me ask you. Is that something you could add to your list of what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for it. When I looked through this psalm and I saw that last one, he keeps, I said, I can't wait to get to that one. That touches my heart. He keeps. He keeps. Now, you know it. I just told you. If you didn't know it below before, if you didn't believe it before, it's right there in Scripture. It's right there. The characteristic of our Lord stands right in front of you. And you know it. Now, who are you going to tell? The psalm says... We are to go from one generation to the next, right? One generation to the next. We're supposed to speak of these things. I'll show it to you so you know. It's on verse number four. One generation shall praise your works to another. Who's going to tell your kids? 
Who's going to tell your grandkids that the Lord keeps? Who's going to tell them? Is the world going to stand up and say, let us tell them? No. Only those who know it will be able to recite it. Only those who know it will be able to share it and speak about it and say, this is what it means to me. This is what the Lord has done for me. One generation to tell the next generation that we believe it. Because if we don't believe that and we don't live in light of that, our children will not see it. They will not hear it. They won't hear it from our mouths. And I don't want my kids to grow up not to, to not know the Lord. Do you? Do you want your children to someday say, I wonder who that Lord was that Grandma would go talk to at church or something. You know, is it that foreign to our children and our grandchildren that they won't ever hear us give praise to our God for what He has done for us? Let's not be like that. There's a lesson here that the next generation needs to hear. We want them to grow up and give Him praise. We want them someday to be sitting in the pew and loving the Lord and serving Him with all their heart. We want that, don't we? That excites us to think. The generations come and go and and they're so faithful to the Lord and they're staying true to Him. But that's because they've learned it from grandma and grandpa, from mom and dad. The generation that passes it on because they've seen who He is and they know what He's done. I think that's very important for us because being thankful is just the first step. Being thankful audibly is what this psalm is calling for. This is not just, this is my heart saying it, but how about my mouth? Let's extol Him. Let's praise Him. Let's bless Him forever and ever. That's my challenge for you this evening. Because tomorrow you have a perfect opportunity to practice. As you go into thanksgiving, now you have another reason to give Him praise. Heavenly Father, what good words these are. I am so thankful for what you've done in my own life and heart to bring me to appreciate such words, to, to understand your great love and your keeping ability, how precious that is to me. And I pray it's precious to all of us here. May we not keep quiet about it. May our children know it. May our grandchildren know it. Every opportunity we can, we can grab and declare how great you are, may we do so. So the word keeps going on. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for all that you've done for us. This psalm is beautiful. It gives us a small, small portion of it, but it is so satisfying to read. We praise you for all that in Jesus' name. Amen.